Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost & Sullivan's latest webinar from our mobility practice. Today's event is titled, Electric Vehicle Outlook, Trends and Opportunities. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost & Sullivan's Growth Innovation and Leadership Briefings. Our presenters today are Kevin Kelly, Senior Consultant. Kevin has over eight years of automotive experience, including um, leading OEMs within uh, their strategies, advanced engineering, and research. Also joining them is, is Anjan Kumar, research manager. He has 12 years of automotive research and consulting experience and specializing in the electric vehicles, passenger cars, batteries, motors, charging infrastructure, and business models. And also joining us is Mark Fitzgerald, Director of our Automotive Consulting Practice. He has over 20 years of automotive industry research and consulting experience. And Mark specializes in the connected, autonomous, shared, and electrified technologies and business models. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Kevin. Thank you very much, Anna, for that lovely introduction. So today I'm going to be taking, um, starting this presentation off a little bit with the fundamentals around powertrain uh, and talking about the powertrain topic um, before Anjan takes over and, and discusses the EV side. So within Frost & Sullivan, we have uh, our documentation of outlooks. So at the beginning of each year, we review back on what happened in the previous year and try and make some predictions and forecasts for the forthcoming year. So I want to kind of take you through five or six slides um, detailing sort of what we see happening in 2018 within the powertrain environment and then moving forward in, in terms of future technologies and roadmaps. So to begin that, we must first start at what's driving the industry, what's driving the powertrain changes and evolution. And we see these, uh, this slide shows three key markets where we're starting to see big transitions in the legislation and regulation environment which is driving OEMs to, to new powertrain technologies and to electrification and EVs. So if we see on the left-hand side, we focus on the North American market in the USA and Canada with EPA Tier 3 and the California regulation at LEV 3 as well. Both these regulations are pushing uh, the US sector towards a low particle emissions and a low NOx environment, very different to what it is now, and this is requiring a big technology shift in the US. When we come over to the European environment, we have the big revolutionary change in regulation last year with the introduction of RDE and WLTP and a whole new certification methodology and, and process. And this going forward will change even more when we start introducing uh, regulations on uh, corporate emissions uh, in 2020 and towards 2025 and also shift fully toward the WLTP environment. So these are changing how the OEMs test and giving them uh, much more stringent uh, regulations for testing their vehicles. So they are getting worse fuel consumption and CO2, and this is starting to be pushed onto the customer. But these fuel consumption measures are much more realistic, so it's pushing the OEM to start developing technologies for the real world and how this changes. And then in, the U in, in China, the last market I wanted to focus on today was there's their very big push towards new energy vehicles, so EVs but also towards China 6, which is matching what is happening in the US and, and Europe. So 
you can see this is a, a reg legislation and regulation shift that's causing the industry to move. And 2018 and 2017 were big changes in this in terms of Europe introducing WLTP, the US uh, detailing what's happening in these level three regulations. So that's the kind of drivers behind the industry of what's making these OEMs to look at new technologies, new powertrains, and having a shift in their industry. And what we then like to do at Frost is start with this big challenge uh, at the top level of the regulation and break it down into the different technologies that we can see. So we start looking at the, the market outlook. So how are, based on 2018 and 2019 predictions, across all of these markets, which technologies are selling and in which proportion. So this graph here shows on the left-hand side 2018 figures um, that we have uh, available through our databases. And we see that predominantly over the whole globe, 80% is still maintained as gasoline volume, with an 11 to 12% share in, in diesel. And the other uh, different powertrains, whether that be mild hybrid, full hybrid EV, and alternative fuels are also shown there. And we break this down across the key regions as well. We have the ones we've just discussed, US, Europe, and China, but also some other large markets and developing markets in, in such as Korea, Brazil, and India. So we start to track all of this, and we track all of this, and this is available within our Outlook that will be issued in the coming weeks onto our iFrost platform. And then with this, we make some predictions towards 2019 based on our understanding of how the industry is shifting, how the customer perception is shifting. And we see this uh, strong uh, increase in EV uh, and a strong interest in general electrification. And obviously, Angie later on will detail more um, the EV side and, and the strategies behind the EV side. But I myself focus on the powertrain aspect. And within this powertrain, we start to see here on this graph, there is multiple different variations. We have gasoline, we have diesel, we have hybrid. And, and with mixing in that regulation aspect we talked about in the last slide, we see that the what is the industry going to do is the next big question. So with this, we've developed a, a roadmap of technologies across the sector in automotive. So we look at gasoline, diesel, transmission side, and also the electrification. And this graph shows in, in light blue the current focus of the industry. And the, the darker blue in the middle signifies what's the next generation of focus. So between now and 2025, what are OEMs going to be looking at introducing? What do the tier ones and the supplier ecosystem have to be developing and manufacturing for the next wave of vehicles? And then the dark blue on the, the far right-hand side is what post-2025 will the industry shift towards in terms of these individual uh, areas and technologies? And you can see from, from this slide, there's lots of information and lots of uh, acronyms and, and, and points of change. But the one thing I wanted to show with this is, is the big challenge the industry is facing is the complexity of this roadmap shows the complexity of the industry and their challenge. And what this means is the, the OEMs will start looking more holistically and start comparing, uh, if I have to introduce a technology for the US and it's gasoline, how do I do that when I also have a European market that's been more stringent? How do I view this in uh, mix with electrification? So instead of just uh, having an evolutionary advancement of their combustion engines or their combustion technology, they may go for a big revolutionary change and shift towards electrification. So the industry is now looking full across this roadmap instead of just focusing on one individual aspect. 
And what we see with this roadmap is there's key, three key uh, topics of focus. So if we group that last roadmap and say, okay, where's the big changing points? Then we focus in on three areas. Advanced ICE, so advanced uh, predominantly gasoline engine. Um, so big growth in direct injection gasoline technology as well as implementation. We'll start to see introduction of electric boosting and variable compression ratio. And we'll start to see, obviously, direct injection is very common in, in Europe and it's starting to enter the market into China, India and the US. But we'll see in the next year and towards 2020 a huge boom in the global um, growth of this, of this model of direct injection. With electric boosting, where there is a couple of OEMs who have this on the market today, but we'll start to see more mainstream products come out with an electric boosting. And variable compression ratio was first launched in the US last year by Nissan, but we'll see them expand that through the rest of the globe in this coming year. So we see that this technology we're viewing on the roadmap as next generation is starting to filter through with the OEMs in the coming year. The big hot topic of electrification, and obviously we, with electrification, we view this predominantly as EV, or we see the halo aspect of this as EV, which Anjan will discuss. But for me, there is a lot of spectrum between where we are currently in combustion engine and the EV side. So we talk about mild hybrid having a huge growth in, in the in Europe European market, so 48 volt or 12 plus 12 technologies. We see many OEMs now starting to join Toyota on launching lots of full hybrids. And then we have the premium uh, OEMs with their larger vehicles focusing on plug-in hybrids. Um, we have uh, the announcements for Geneva starting to filter through with Audi launching four new plug-in hybrid models to launch this year. So we start to see in our outlook for 2019-2020 a huge growth in the premium segment for plug-in hybrid. Another area that's very interesting is transmissions. Um, particularly as the European market becomes more automatic in terms of customers view viewing uh, automatic transmissions as uh, highly enticing. But new technologies enter in the US market and, and other markets where automatic is very strong, um, such as higher ratio speed, speeds, um, the use of dual clutch transmission, automatic transmissions, and also the growth of a new technology in dedicated hybrid transmission. So this is transmissions that come integrated with the hybrid system. So starting to see this shift towards even the electrification coming into the transmission and not just the ICE. And with all of this, my focus here is just to show what the, the industry is doing and how it is changing and the influencing it's starting to have on the, the strategies the OEMs have to take uh, and the, the strategies the supplier base has to take within that. And we use this data and we funnel down another layer within our outlooks, um, within our powertrain outlook and another, our other outlooks in terms of the EV ones. Um, we look at how are OEMs going to achieve this and which strategies is each OEM going to conduct. So this graph here shows on the left-hand side the complexity of their current combustion engines and their mild hybrid engines. So this is how complicated or how invested is that OEM in their uh, maintaining the status quo, whereas the horizontal axis is more about where do we see their future proposition within the very highly electrified platforms of full hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and EV. So an OEM such as Toyota, who is very famous for having strong hybrid technology, strong hybrid market share, but very simplistic combustion engine, will be in the bottom right-hand corner. And a company who's less susceptible or less um, interested in 
electrification such as Mazda more focused on the top left hand corner and the most interesting thing for me is those are the outliers those are the easy ones to conduct their strategy to understand what they're doing as a business and why they're doing it the bits in between where we have these mainstream OEMs in the left uh, bottom left hand quadrant the premium in the top and some companies like Nissan and Volvo that's really where the interesting aspects come these OEMs are not going with one simple strategy they're starting to mix up between electrification and advanced combustion engine because the one thing that we are you can see with the complexity of the roadmap the complexity of the challenges and the globalization of it all is there is no silver bullet technology there is no one technology for every OEM to utilize going forward so we have in the premium segment here on this graph the premium segment focusing on 48 volt focusing on Miller cycle and, and advanced expensive boosting systems to maintain their performance. The mainstream OEMs, however, looking still within trying to eke out as much as they can from their current engines, variable valve timing, direct injection turbo. And then we have some companies like Volvo who are very heavily invested in electrification and becoming an electrification leader. So within our outlook, you can start to see some of this information and, and we track this on an annual basis to show where we see the OEMs in, uh, going. So to finally come, come, come as a conclusion to what I want to discuss today on our Parachain Outlook is some of the key predictions. So our outlook is not just viewing the current year and what's happening, but as I said, it's a roadmap and showing how we're going to go forward in 2019. So one of the aspects is, is for um, North America, particularly and in, eking in into Europe, diesel still will have a bad year. Um, and we have obviously all that long-term uh, understanding of why going back to, to, to diesel gate. But then we also have a strong prediction in, in EVs. Uh, as I mentioned on our Powertrain Outlook earlier on, there's a bit of a growth in, a strong growth in EV. But also we start coming down into the platform basis, which Angie, I think we'll go into a little bit of detail later on. But OEMs are now, because they see the horizon being very focused on EV and high electrification, when they're starting to launch their new models, we predict this year we will start to see the introduction of new models based on new platforms that are capable of taking these OEMs longer term than the current platforms. So the platform basis now, when we try and introduce a plug-in hybrid for an OEM, there is a very difficult challenge and compromise of fitting the battery and the motor into a vehicle that was never designed to have that battery and motor. So we'll see a big shift this year going forward towards 2025, a strong uh, shift in the OEMs to new platforms that will be multi-energy or EV-dedicated ones, depending on the OEM. We also have here two, two ones more focused on the powertrain aspect, but the exhaust after-treatment side will have a huge shift this year. Due to WLTP testing and RDE requirements, we will see a big um, adoption of gasoline particulate filters these gasoline particular filters are, are, will be new to the market, both in terms of for the OEMs, but also for the customer and the supply chain of, of aftermarket and how to deal with this. So we'll see a big shift this year in the way that gasoline um, is conducted on its after-treatment systems. Also, we'll have the uh, enormous adoption of SCR basically becoming standard on diesel vehicles to reduce NOx and be compliant for NOx regulations. Um, so we'll see big shifts in, in how customers uh, interact with these and what happens in terms of durability, in terms of ownership, in terms of warranty concerns and, and things like that. We also see, as I, I mentioned on the, the, the analogy uh, analysis of the OEM strategies, 
We'll also see some new combustion engines this year. There's not uh, OEMs are not yet finished with what they can do with the combustion engine by itself. So we see Mazda will be launching uh, into a product this year. It's a um, compression ignition engine uh, for gasoline. Nissan, as I mentioned, with their variable compression ratio engine. And BMW also adopting some new technology, uh, including some advanced ignition systems. So we start to see, even though we are, we've got this wave of uh, electrification coming through in the market and coming through in the, re the requirements for legislation, OEMs will still introduce some of these new advanced combustion engines. Um, so that brings me to a close for what I wanted to discuss today. I um, hope um, you found it useful. And um, I we're going to have a poll question now, so I'll hand over to Anna to do the poll question. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, I have uh, pushed forth our first poll question. So uh, if you can take a moment to select your answer, and we will reveal the results in about a minute. So the poll question is, which powertrain do you think will be accepted? will be accepted most by the customer in the future? Uh, is it mild hybrid, full hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, electric vehicle, or traditional ICE? So uh, we'll give everyone a, a moment to uh, select their their one answer. Um, while why you're taking that poll question, I just wanted to remind everyone on the call that under the Attachments tab, we have um, several links to click on, find out more information about uh, the future of vehicle systems and technologies, our global automotive power train research, and our automotive and transportation consult team in the mobility sector. We also have an event coming up in Europe. It's our Intelligent Mobility 2019 event. So this event is uh, it's a forum for attendees to network with peers and other stakeholders and uh, debate uh, the diverse philosophies that underpin mobility as a service and also examine the potential of new business models and identify revenue opportunities. So you can click on the uh, Intelligent Mobility event to register and uh, Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and stop the uh, the poll question here and reveal the results. So this is what we have for our results. Now it looks like uh, we have 9% of our audience, it's, it's a split, 9% of our audience indicate, um, actually, okay, it's 7% now, it just changed. 7% of our audience, audience indicate mild and full hybrid, 53 percent indicate uh, plug-in and 33 percent indicate electric vehicle. So those are the results thanks to everyone that voted and I will pass the call over to our next presenter which is Ajahn. Thank you so much Anna for your kind introduction. Um, good morning, good afternoon or good evening audience you know which based on whichever part of the world you are. My name is Anjan Kumar, and in this section today, we will look at the electric vehicle outlook for uh, this year, as Kevin mentioned, that we do this on an annual basis. And uh, within this section for today, we will look at how the electric cars, you know, in particular plug-in and battery electric cars, have performed in terms of sales to, since 2007. We'll then take a look at what is the market for the plug-ins and batteries as well as you know hybrid electric cars separately in 2018 what can we expect 
in 2019 and thereafter we'll also look at how Frost & Sullivan estimates this total market of electrified cars which we call it as XEVs to 2025 and then uh, in the last section we will also conclude with some of the few hand-picked trends which we believe that will impact the future of uh, electric cars in itself. So, the first electric car, um, the modern generation electric car, was launched back in 2007, which would, which was, I think, the Nissan Leaf and Chevy World together, or you know, a year uh, in between, and um, it took about eight years for plug-in and battery electric cars put together cumulatively to sell about one million of electric cars, um, which happened sometime in 2015. So it took eight years for the market to reach this milestone of one million electric cars. Today, the market, the global market for electric cars is about 2.1 million or even more. And if I, you know, draw the same rationale to how hybrid cars were sold historically. You know, the Toyota Prius or Toyota was the first vehicle manufacturer to launch a hybrid car back in 1996-1997 in Japan and then in the US and it took 15 years for the hybrid industry to reach this milestone of 1 million hybrid vehicles cumulative sales globally. But for electric cars, it was eight years, which means that this tells me that today the vehicle manufacturers are much more confident in um, launching or having uh, clean and green cars to the end consumers. The end consumers themselves today are much more comfortable in buying clean and green cars. So I would say that the era of electric mobility is already there and is not the future, really. So <clears throat> how did these electric cars, plug-in and battery electric cars that I was talking about, perform in 2018, which was two months ago, which concluded rather two months ago, about 2 million electric cars sold globally, uh, of which about 68.1% were battery, pure battery-driven. 31.7% um, were plug-in cars, which recorded about 57.3% year-on-year growth and a small bit 0.2% of fuel cell cars. You know, certainly it's not a surprise that China retained its market leadership for the fifth consecutive year um, with about 55% of the market share within the EVs in itself. That approximates to about 1.1 million EVs sold in China alone, 75% of which being pure battery driven, 25% are plug-in cars, which recorded um, about 63.5% year-on-year market growth. Well, if you look at um, the OEMs in itself, for the first time, Tesla emerged as the market leader and thanks to the launch of Model 3 and the phenomenal success of Model 3, Tesla sold the highest number of cars um, globally, constituting to about 11.8% of the total market, and uh, closely followed by BYD, um, which was the market leader last year. And it would also, you know, bring me interest to BMW, which is slowly catching up in the race. And BMW was one of the first automakers last year to offer inductive charging in their um, 
530E high-performance car, uh, which is one of the first in the market, is what I would say. Looking at the performance of the hybrid cars in itself last year, um, about 2.38 million of hybrid cars sold, of which only 2.6% were um, mild hybrids, which would also include the 48 volts. So the 48 volt systems are really small, but about less than 60,000 units sold um, in 2018, but is a big playing ground in the next two or three years. Um, well, what's not surprising is that if you look at uh, the chart for the HEVs that are dominating in Asia, Japan, to be specific, about 1.2 million cars of um, are sold in Asia. And in Japan, it's interesting because one in three cars sold in Japan is a hybrid car. I exclude the mini category over here. And Japan is the only region which is following kind of a pull strategy for clean and green cars or hybrid or electric cars, in other words, which means that in every region or country, it's the government that is pushing clean and green cars to the customers through uh, promotions, through incentives, through subsidies, to benefits and things like that. But in Japan, it's the customer who is more willing to buy an electric car um, or a hybrid car in this case, um, whereas in the rest of the world, it's more of the federal, municipal, local governments trying to push this clean and green cars. But what is surprising for me is looking at Europe. You know, in, in Europe, 2016, about 270,000 hybrid cars were sold. Um, 2017, it notched up to about 430,000, and it fell a bit flat in 2018 to about 441,000, which was kind of a surprise. But nevertheless, the market has really picked up for electric cars, as you saw in the previous slide. And another not-so-surprising bit, but interesting, is also the top hybrid car producers in the world are uh, Asian manufacturers. The top five producers are Asians. Toyota is, of course, a market leader, taking more than 65% of the market share in itself. So we saw historical. We saw what's happened in 2018. So what can we really expect in 2019? I would say that in 2019, we can expect about 3 million or 2.8 million at least electric cars, which means plug-in and battery electric only cars to be sold. And this is about you know six times growth from 2016, which was just three years ago. And when it comes to hybrid cars, you know, again, about three or 3.5 million hybrid cars to be sold. What's interesting that Kevin also mentioned in his uh, speech was also about the number of uh, plug-in cars or battery electric cars, especially Audi looking at four plug-in cars to be launched in 2019. Globally, we would see a minimum of 43 new plug-in or battery electric car launches to be made, and 25 of which at least will come, will be battery, pure battery electric cars. And we see a lot of SUVs and performance vehicles being launched this year. It's also interesting to know that some of the countries like the CEE regions, it could be you know very small Middle East, it could be Latin America or South Asia, these are the new markets that will pick up for electric cars in the next two to three years because of the high potential it has through heavy push from the local governments in these countries. 
But the main conclusion that I will draw for 2019 is that, you know, electric vehicles is no more incentive driven. It will be regulation driven or mandate driven from ASEA, it could be, or WLTP and RD, it could be from various uh, diesel bands, so on and so forth. But it will be mandate driven, not incentive driven. Incentives are going to get phased out soon. And also, ICEs or internal combustion engine possibly has already peaked last year or it's going to peak in 2019. But then from 2020 onwards, it's going to be more of an era of electrification. So a non-electrified engine would really see the downward trend in our opinion, at least from 2020. So what can we expect further from 2019 towards 2025? Frost and Sullivan adopts a scenario-based methodology in order to arrive at long-term forecasts for electrified cars. It means electrified cars includes a mild hybrid, a full hybrid, a battery, and a plug-in car in itself. So if you are um, really looking at it, we estimate the market for electrified cars to be between 28 million units to 40 million units by 2025. That would be about 25% of all cars sold or 37% of all cars sold. And of course, they will be really hotspots for these. And we would expect you know, the Western world or the developed world um, like Europe, a bit of North America for hybrid cars, and of course, China for electric vehicles to drive the market in itself. So if you're otherwise looking at uh, what are the key driving factors for such high volumes for electrified cars? Of course, you know, one of the key reasons is the climate change, the CAFE norms uh, in the U.S., the ASEA, the Euro norms, as I mentioned a while before in Europe. It could also be banning all certain old diesel or even gasoline cars into the city, which we call it as urban access restriction. But we should also know that the industry is all gearing up or already geared up itself for this massive uptake. Now, we've actually tracked about 14 different trends that will drive the electrified market, but in the best interest of time, we will see about three of these important trends which are quite interesting in my opinion. The first of which is the electrified electric car platforms. Kevin also mentioned about this, but one of the key trendsetters that we see from the vehicle manufacturers side is their EV platform strategy. It's either multi-energy or dedicated EV platform. And in this slide, what we see is that the number of electric car platform and also number of models that are built per platform. Today, we see that the average is about 1.5 EV built per platform, basically operating in two platforms. One could be a PHEV and other one could be for a BEV, and both of these are you know, platforms shared with other hybrid cars or IC engines, which we call as multi-energy platforms. But in the future, what we will see is that the OEMs leveraging these platforms to build more models per platform in itself. I mean, one of the examples that I can take is PSA Group, which is expected to have high utilizations of platforms, which means that they will have virtually only two platforms, but they would underpin as many as 12 models on an average when we look at 2025. So in the next 
five years, what we can see is on an average five to six models coming out of one platform. On the other hand side, we can also say that when the platforms increase from a standard two now to more, Yes, of course, there'll be one dedicated indigenous platform for electric cars. Volkswagen is doing it. We also anticipate many others to follow the suit. General Motors, Hyundai, say, for example. And we will also see many of the other OEMs look at multi-energy platform adoption in itself. But the ones that are looking at dedicated EV platforms will do so looking at more connected autonomous shared and electric mobility, which we call it as, or rather popularly known as CASE, which my colleague Mark will conclude in the next section. So this is what we see as one of the key trends driving more and more electric cars to the future. In this slide, we will look at the technology roadmap for electric vehicles. Um, looking back at 2013, 2014, about 80 to 90 miles was an average autonomy or range for a battery electric car. Thanks to Tesla, who came up, you know, setting a benchmark of 200 plus mile range as a standard, and there, thereafter the competition really intensified. Today, not just the sports or a premium offering like a Tesla can do about 200, 250 miles, but also volume cars such as. Uh, uh, the Chevy Bolt, the Nissan Leaf today, uh, you can also opt for a 40 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. The Renault Zoe, say for example, can do about 200, 250 miles, and they all have 40, 60, or 80 kilowatt batteries depending on many factors and what segments, so on and so forth. Well, this has been achievable because of technological improvement in batteries. It could be energy density, it could be power density, it could be innovations in cell materials, it could be innovations in the battery building processes in itself, and in the future, we expect the batteries will get even more bigger thanks to the expected you know, reduction of battery prices in the future as well. We can also see the autonomy reach 300 miles or go beyond that in the future, and it will be a new standard come three or four years. So. What does it mean? Does it mean that you know, your charging time shouldn't really increase just because your battery size increased? Ideally, by the progression of time, the charging time should reduce, and you can see in this roadmap um, uh, in the slide. So therefore, one can expect the upgradation of charging infrastructure or the charging station outside the car from today's standard of a 50 kilowatt DC charge station or a 120 kilowatt DC charge station moving up to 200 kilowatts or 350 kilowatts in the future, which means that the power density of the battery on the vehicle side should also increase leaps and bounds. So the kind of chemistry, battery chemistry for the future, the battery type, and also the implementation of advanced cooling systems will become very, very necessary. So the electric vehicle market is undergoing a technological improvement or rationale to the future. The last topic which would be very interesting is I spoke a lot about batteries. So what is happening within the battery space in itself? There has been you know, production capacities installed um, and you know, exploration of these. So this chart will give you a good illustration of increasing uh, battery production capacities. In 2016, the production capacities were as small as about 
15 gigawatt hour by 2020-2021 we will see huge giga factories being built specifically in China to be honest and then you know please note that uh, this chart has only illustration of few of battery manufacturers but then you know the market to 2020, which we predict as 110 gigawatt hour in this slide, could be more than that because some of the other players are not really shown. But what's interesting is, you know, Europe can be the next playing ground for batteries. And we see this in the next slide. Um, and one of the key things that draws me to this slide is the amount of interest and investment being made in Europe for sustainable battery supply chain and capacity with capability. The potential demand for the electrified vehicle batteries in Europe um, alone can go up to about 400 gigawatt hours by 2025. And what you can also see that the number of companies, especially the Asian players such as BYD, LG Chem, Leeshin, SK Innovation, and one of the big players, CATL, and also Samsung, one of the popular companies today, are all considering production capacities. 100 billion um, euros have been interest uh, have been you know announced for investment as of October 2018 in Europe, and the European Commission is poised and expect another. 50 billion euros investment to reach the goal of having a domestic lithium-ion battery production supply to meet the, at least the local EV demand in itself. So we will see more thick intensified competition, which will also serve as more uh, uptake for electrified vehicles or the batteries. With this, I would like to conclude my section and possibly have another poll question. Over to you, Anna. Thank you, Ajahn. Yes, I have pushed uh, forth our last poll question. And so, again, we'll uh, take a minute uh, for everyone to, uh, to select their answer and reveal the results immediately. So our poll question is, which, in your opinion, is the most significant statement that would have a great impact towards 2025? Is it uh, A, BVs will dominate the market? with likely fading away of PEVs? Is it B, mild hybrids? Is it C, relaxation of EPA standards will lead to low EV adoption in the USA? Is it uh, Europe to succeed in establishing a local supply chain for batteries and do not depend on Asia? Or is it Chinese EVs to disrupt sales global market? So uh, thank you to those that have uh, already voted. And uh, for those that uh, have just joined us, our uh, presentation will also be available on demand shortly after we finish. So you can, uh, you can listen to the entire presentation. Also, we have our Intelligent Mobility event coming up in Europe 2019. So on your Attachments tab on your screen, there is uh, several different links that you can click on to find out more information regarding our events, and then also our um, consulting and future of vehicles. Okay, just a few more seconds here. Okay, the results are in. So it looks like we have 30% indicate uh, the Chinese EV to disrupt the sales in the global market, and also split 36% to the BEVs will dominate the market. 
followed by 16% the relaxation of EPA standards, 8% mild hybrids, will likely be standard in Europe, and lastly, 4% Europe to succeed in establishing a local supply chain. With that, I would like to now pass the presentation over to Mark. Great. Thank you, Anna. And uh, we've heard a lot about on the, the electrification side of CASE, and now I'm just going to add a, a few comments in on the connected, uh, very much touch on uh, lightly on autonomous and then the, the shared uh, mobility side of CASE. And uh, with that, I'm going to start with the uh, impact of connectivity. And with connectivity, most EVs uh, to date have been connected uh, basically in order to uh, link the driver to local charging stations and uh, just use that uh, cellular connectivity to uh, keep themselves apprised of um, where those charging stations are to relieve range anxiety. So that's kind of your, your base state, uh, base table stakes of into the market of where connectivity uh, can help uh, in the electric vehicle market. And uh, so right now we are looking at the uh, EE architecture of uh, all vehicles and especially EVs as well, they're moving towards the uh, centralized computing. Uh, there's been a long talk in automotive. I've been in the industry for uh, 20 plus years of centralizing uh, computers because instead of having you know, 75 to 100 plus ECUs in the vehicle, every time you add a feature, you add an ECU, where now a lot of these features are standardized on vehicles. You're, they're moving towards uh, centralized computing and uh, domain controllers with uh, chassis, cockpit, uh, safety with ADAS and autonomous, and then, of course, powertrain. And uh, on the EV side, uh, you're going to be looking at uh, controlling uh, both the motor, the batteries, thermal management of the system, and the, the power electronics of these systems. And then with the uh, hybrid systems, you have to account for all those systems as well as the internal combustion engine. So tying all those systems together with uh, modular platforms scalable platforms as well uh, to move uh, these vehicles uh, when you're adding on more features and uh, adding or taking out features for different regions and different price points, the whole system has to be scalable and built that way from the beginning, designed that way from the beginning. We're also looking at over-the-year updates uh, for service deliveries as well as uh, updates of the vehicle, cybersecurity patches, as well as feature-on-demand that I'm going to touch on in a moment. Of course, we're going to be deeper integration with software stacks. Software is becoming more and more important with the vehicle. Software engineering and software hires by OEMs and tier suppliers has risen dramatically and will continue to rise and uh, drive uh, technology in the vehicle in the future. And we're also looking at the actual communication within the vehicle needs to be much faster than the traditional uh, CAN, LIN uh, buses that are traditionally used. So we're going to be moving towards an Ethernet Based backbone to move tremendous amounts of data, especially on the, uh, the ADAS side with video data being moved within the vehicle that's uh, very high bandwidth. And then with that, we're going to have touch on three areas of personalized, upgradable, and data monetization, where vehicles do need to be personalized in the future, uh, redefining that user experience in the vehicle. It's uh, still very complicated in the vehicle. There's a lot of features and functions for the consumers to use. It can be very uh, again, confusing and distracting to that driver. Many features that are incorporated into the vehicle actually aren't used by the customer. And OEMs have to uh, kind of have a balancing act of uh, where the uh, it's very brand specific, it's brand power. Uh, they want to showcase uh, a certain experience for their particular vehicle. 
But if they go too far, it can take consumers away from what they're used to having their user experience, especially on smartphones, where it's uh, very touch, very visually oriented, and then also working with uh, digital personal assistance, uh, that is very familiar with the consumer. And if the experience is different in the vehicle or too far removed from their experience day to day in the consumer electronics space, and that learning curve is too steep, it can actually be a quite negative for that OEM, and many features will not be used in the vehicle. Also moving into upgradable, and that's a pretty interesting uh, area where we can uh, over-the-air software upgrade vehicles, where in the past vehicles were uh, had to be, if they were going to be upgraded at all, it would be a hardware, it would be expensive, uh, brought into the dealership. And now the, the companies are working on business models to upgrade the vehicle, constantly improve that vehicle uh, after it's been out in the market. And whether that's uh, free upgrades or paid for upgrades, uh, Tesla has pioneered quite a few of those, and that goes right back to that EE architecture I mentioned uh, in the beginning where you can uh, upgrade all ECUs in the vehicle, or many of them uh, in the vehicle, not just uh, as many OEMs have done of on the infotainment side, adding apps and features, where you can actually upgrade powertrain systems, uh, sport chassis systems, offer feature on demand, whether you want uh, one time or per charge for self-parking, per charge for uh, certain uh, ADAS applications. And then you can also add in, uh, as Tesla did uh, a few years ago, where they can, over the year, they can actually unlock uh, range in the vehicle, unlock some unused uh, battery capacity uh, for a charge, of course. And they've also uh, done that in uh, natural disaster events, uh, whether there's a hurricane or not. They can add uh, actual uh, range to the vehicles for consumers to uh, get themselves out of danger. So uh, being able to upgrade the vehicle over the year updates, uh, it can mitigate a lot, of the, a lot of recalls are actually software recalls, and instead of bringing your vehicle to the dealership, you can have many of these uh, updates done over the air as well. And we're also moving into data monetization. As we all know, uh, the many sensors on the vehicle are creating a tremendous amount of data uh, from that vehicle. A lot of that data is, remains within the vehicle, but with connectivity, we can bring that data to the cloud. And many uh, OEMs are working on business models. It's unclear exactly what data uh, they can and can't use. There's privacy issues depending on which country you're in, especially in Europe. A lot of privacy, uh, data privacy laws have been passed, so uh, a lot of the data can't be used. Much of the data uh, can be used by the OEM itself to produce uh, better vehicles, but this data also can be used by local municipalities uh, to understand where autonomous vehicles are being used where they're being charged, are they being charged at home, where to build charging stations. It's uh, important to know where these uh, high populations of EVs are and where they're going to be, and also uh, include the grid, uh, make sure that there's enough power in neighborhoods for, for home charging. Is there enough power to charge these vehicles if, uh, 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 even if a new dealership is being built and there's a, a high number of EVs being brought into that neighborhood? Can the grid support uh, or uh, a parking structure can uh, that neighborhood support uh, these new numbers of electric vehicles. So just as a final note, the, uh, the connected vehicle does allow all vehicles, but especially uh, electric vehicles, uh, the ability to upgrade the vehicle uh, through over-the-air updates for recall management, add-on features to the vehicle through software, and then, uh, of course, add cybersecurity patches, because once you open up this vehicle to the outside world, you do open it up to hacking, but then with the over-the-air updates, you can add software uh, patches as, uh, as we move on.
for the next slide, I just want to put some color behind it where we're, we're looking at uh, towards the end of this forecast around the 2025 to 2030, we're looking at 1.6 to 2 billion vehicles. So when we're, look, when we're talking uh, vehicle subscription models, yes, the, the growth is still quite strong, but we're still looking at a tiny fraction of the overall market. So it's not going to drastically impact uh, vehicle sales in our forecast. But we are looking how uh, awareness has spread quite quickly from uh, basically 2016 when these subscription services uh, were first formed through 2018, a lot of consumers are aware of them. And then uh, now moving on uh, as more consumers become aware and more features are added on that I'm going to touch on in a moment, the, uh, it becomes much more attractive for consumers to look at these subscription services. And the current subscription services, where is the current, like 2017 and into 2019, we're looking at uh, your traditional insurance, maintenance, vehicle delivery, registration. Uh, if the vehicle is brand new, you can buy a subscription service to this vehicle. Yes, it is a premium service, but you do get all those uh, features included in that subscription. And what we're looking for from 2019 through 2025 is adding on quite a few more features that can uh, also be enhanced, uh, whether it's through uh, connectivity and uh, especially within the EV. So uh, a major differentiator for vehicle subscription in the future could be uh, refueling, recharging that vehicle, take away the range anxiety, uh, potential opportunity for utility companies and charging infrastructure providers to participate, to add in uh, as part of their subscription, to become partners with OEMs and private companies offering these subscriptions to give uh, EV owners uh, the ability to charge, draw them to their charging stations rather than others as part of this subscription plan. So again, uh, this concierge type of service would become uh, standard name in the industry being expected uh, and offered by most of the, the, uh, the providers as these subscription services where you can uh, are growing quite quickly and they, they offer things that uh, aren't offered from your traditional uh, buying or leasing activities. And if we look at the chart, we actually are growing from uh, you know, thousands of units in uh, 2016 to uh, over 11 million uh, subscription services being purchased in 2024 and then up to 16 million in 2025. So it, we do uh, foresee quite strong growth, but again, uh, when you're talking about uh, 2 billion vehicles on the road and uh, hundreds of, of millions of uh, 100 million vehicles being sold, uh, it's not going to put a, a huge dent in uh, overall. So uh, we also do see the, the initial offering of these subscription services tend to be for larger vehicles and luxury vehicles such as uh, Volvos and Cadillac. And the subscription model fits very well in with the luxury EV market as well, where the, the luxury EVs, the longer range EVs, uh, as the battery packs and battery costs are still quite high, tend to be put into a higher cost luxury vehicle. And these subscription services can add to that luxury concierge experience where you can add in uh, tolling charges, congestion fees, uh, free parking, navigation experience to get your uh, vehicle to that recharging, refueling station, uh, that full concierge. All fees are included in that one-time subscription. Now we're moving to the, the new mobility uh, solutions, and we're actually forecasting that uh, all total they're going to be worth $2 trillion by 2030, and how does that impact uh, electric vehicles overall? So we're 
we're looking at uh, the world continuing to urbanize and we're looking at sustainable uh, ways to, uh, to manage that urban growth. Cities are becoming smarter, moving towards alternative modes of transport, as in car sharing, ride sharing, dynamic rapid transport. So that's uh, basically bus systems, shuttle systems that are dynamic, not on set routes, but are actually are go towards consumers that uh, uh, they can more or less hail these uh, vehicles and, and change their, uh, their routes to, uh, to bring these bus systems to where the actual population is. There's also carpooling as well, so to, in, to encourage people to give up ownership of cars. And uh, we also have uh, on the chart is uh, taxi services, and that's both traditional taxi services and the, uh, the e-hailing of the, the Uber and Lyfts of the world as well. And that's where we see uh, two markets that we see to uh, expect aggressive growth would be that ride-hailing taxi service and then the uh, dynamic shuttles or dynamic rapid transit. And they're, uh, uh, they're also right for the adoption of uh, electrified powertrains as these vehicles tend to have much more uh, usage than your traditional uh, internal combustion engine. People can commuting to work where the vehicles are parked uh, by far, you know, 80, 90, 95% of the time those vehicles are, uh, are parked where these vehicles that are used quite a bit more, whether it's a, the shuttle or the taxi services, uh, would be uh, used with the, especially in the battery electric vehicles due to their low operating costs. And as we move forward in the future, uh, as uh, Anjan was mentioning, battery costs are coming down. The total cost of ownership and uh, cost per mile of these vehicles will come down in the future. Uh, and that will bring uh, more profitability to these taxi services and shuttle services where there's uh, some profitability issues in some of the business models as they stand right now. But in the future, if the operating costs and cost per mile or kilometer are lower, these business models can make a little bit more sense. And uh, as, uh, many times these services are offered in city environments, especially the dynamic shuttles or dynamic rapid transit are offered in city environments that have uh, quite strong legislation that tends to favor ED adopt EV adoption in order to limit vehicle emissions. And as you see on the right-hand side, especially in the bottom uh, right where we're seeing uh, by 2030, uh, autonomous vehicles will be 15% of the dynamic shuttle market and only 2% of the uh, taxi services. And that, again, is to reduce the costs of uh, these services where the, the driver themselves paying the driver is quite expensive. So the combination of pay of autonomous vehicles without a driver and also being electrified with lower cost uh, operating cost per mile can really make these services grow quite quickly as the, the cost per mile of offering these services uh, goes down, profitability can go up, but also the cost for these rides uh, for the user can go down quite dramatically, again, uh, causing more consumer adoption of these services. So the long-term uh, disruption of this mobility industry is likely to arise when these fleets uh, vehicles prevent, uh, are present in large volumes on our roads. And uh, the first wave of communication is expected to hit uh, the demand-responsive uh, shuttle industry first and then followed by the ride-hailing industry. So that's how we, we see that market uh, maturing and growing. And we do see uh, very strong adoption of EVs uh, in this market, especially when the, the price point, the battery price point brings down the, the initial cost of the vehicle but then the, the total cost of ownership and total cost of usership uh, comes down much far below that of IC vehicles. And with that, I'll hand it back. 
Thank you so much, Mark. So at this time, um, we're going to go straight into our question and answer session. So we'll try to answer as many questions possible live. If for some reason we don't get to your question, the team will get back with you. So let's go ahead and start off with our first question. Which XEV does your trend slide, uh, slide 17, include? Is it BEV and PHEV and MHEV and FHEV and FCEV? So quickly, we're just going to forward to slide 17. Yeah, uh, Anjan here, so thanks, Anna. I think uh, this is slide 17, so question was asked for. Yes, this includes all the types of electrified vehicles, which is MHEV, FHEV, PHEV, BEV, and FCEV, to clarify. Yes, it includes all five types. Thank you, Ajahn. Now, this question is for Kevin. Kevin, uh, will diesel continue to decline? Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I think with, um, with diesel within the passenger car, I think um, it will continue to uh, decline in quite strongly. I think diesel going forward now um, within the passenger car market will be predominantly a, a, a vehicle-dependent case. So I see diesel still having an opportunity in D segment and above, so large executive saloons and SUVs from the premium OEMs, but I think the mainstream OEMs by 2025 will start to phase out um, diesel in favour of gasoline and mild hybridisation of gasoline. So I think predominantly from the mainstream OEMs, I think we've seen the, the last of diesel in the, the large volume segments. And to conclude, uh, you know, in addition to, to that part of that question, uh, do you think these trends relate to the commercial vehicle market? Uh, rather, how do you think these trends relate? Um, so I think with the, the commercial vehicle market, the trends are uh, massively different, and, and they're such a different um, set of trends and use cases and dependencies that actually at Frost we operate um, another uh, function with commercial vehicle teams. So we have a separate commercial vehicle team, and uh, myself and Anjan work with the commercial, uh, commercial vehicle team on understanding uh, their challenges um, what's happening with their customers because their use cases are highly variable and uh, an OEM could have a, a one vehicle platform that is made into a, a dump truck, a logistics transportation, a cement mixer. So how does the powertrain change in each one of those? So we, we do have a commercial vehicle uh, roadmap uh, and, and the, the trends are very different. Uh, much higher content of diesel and no ability to remove the diesel uh, towards EV like there is in the passenger car market. So the trends are very different, but we, we do have that capability in data at Frost um, uh, to do that. So um, you say diesel is much more prominent in, in that uh, commercial vehicle space and will be for the longer term. Thank you, Kevin. This uh, next question is from Mark. So, Mark, we've heard about the advantages of the connected car and over-the-air updates. What are the drawbacks? Sure. No, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, the main drawback of the, the connected car, I touched on it very briefly, but uh, once you open up uh, any device or any, uh, especially the vehicle, to um, the cellular networks, you are, are ripe for hacking and you are a target for hacking. We've seen, luckily for the most part, white hat hackers uh, that are looking to uh, 
kind of educate and uh, show the industry that these vehicles can be hacked and are, are actually helping the industry prevent vehicles from being hacked. But they can be a, a target. Luckily, uh, vehicles so far have been uh, not so much of a target from black hat uh, hackers as it's uh, not easy to do. It's, uh, and for a, a hacker, they, they want to hit as many uh, uh, basically as many units as they, they possibly can. And there's, there's many more smartphones and computers in the world than there are vehicles. So luckily, the, uh, the small numbers of automotive uh, have actually helped uh, for hacking. But I foresee in the future where you know potential black hat hacker could uh, hold companies hostage and uh, demand uh, payment. Uh, for example, if you try to shut down, you know, the, the latest generation of all OnStar vehicles, uh, and you can threaten uh, that or cause some some harm, it, it is quite a bit of a danger. But uh, the good news is that with that connectivity, I did touch on that uh, most uh, all OEMs are both internally and are also working with uh, external cybersecurity companies building their uh, electronic and electrical architectures from the chip level up with security and cybersecurity and upgradability and patching uh, from the beginning. So it's, uh, the, the old systems are, are being replaced by new systems that have security built in from the chip level through the, uh, the module level and then system level. So the, the, these, they're all upgradable. Security patches can be added, and uh, hopefully that would uh, be enough to prevent uh, cybersecurity hacks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Now, this question here is for Ajahn. Ajahn, what, according to you, will be the price of batteries in, by 2025 and 2030? Okay. Thank you, Anna. I think this is one of the most common questions that's often asked. Well, yeah, um, I think it's quite difficult rather to pinpoint on one price and say that this will be the price of the batteries. Uh, rather, you know, today in the open market, the price of the battery depends on a lot of things. It's uh, mostly the supply terms in itself um, and what kind of a car it is, a plug-in or a battery electric car. And, you know, the supply term is for, you know, for a certain volume or is a timeline, so on and so forth. So, you know, having said that, in the open market, it's about... Um, $130 to $200, $210 per kilowatt hour um, as of now. And then we expect this to reduce quite significantly, at least until 2022, 2023. And uh, I believe by 2025, it should be, you know, about um, you know, 100 or even lesser than 100. And by 2030, if uh, one could really... Uh, say that uh, it would be about $80 per kilowatt hour and, you know, going below 80 or even $70 per kilowatt hour would be very, very difficult unless and until there is a breakthrough in um, the cell manufacturing technology or the chemistry in itself. And one of the chemistries that has a strong potential over here is the solid state uh, chemistries. And uh, if that is, which is still in the laboratory, and if successful, um, the battery prices can, of course, you know, uh, possibly still go below 70 because these are like chips and then uh, the thermal management becomes very easy, which means less cost. And um, uh, even the ease of manufacturing, um, if succeeded, would be quite uh, easy and then they could be manufactured in bulk like how the ICs are manufactured as of today. So um, I think that would be the price of the cells rather than 
the batteries of the lithium ion cell. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, we have another question here. What can OEMs do to educate the consumers concerning vehicle subscription services? And that's for Mark. Oh, yeah, that's another uh, good one. Uh, yeah, I, right now it's a very new market, and uh, actually the OEMs are still working on their, their business models to make sure that these subscription services are actually profitable. But, yeah, it's your t traditional uh, marketing and advertising, and uh, actually when a consumer comes in to purchase that vehicle to educate them on the, you know, outright purchase, leasing, or the subscription model, model the, the benefits of what that subscription model can entail, how long uh, would the subscription last, is it a year, is it two, can you swap uh, vehicles with this, uh, this model? And uh, again, I think the big uh, issues are what do you get with the subscription above and beyond a traditional buying or leasing? Uh, what, yes, there's maintenance and there's other things that are added in, but that, a lot of those are added in and, and on a new vehicle, there's not a whole lot of maintenance in the first few years. Something needs to be added to these subscriptions to make them uh, a little more intriguing for that consumer to, uh, to buy these subscriptions. So that's why uh, getting, uh, you know, charging, free charging or uh, priority charging at stations, priority parking, uh, reduce tolls or including tolling, make that driver's life easier, make it a premium uh, concierge type experience is the way it should be handled. Thank you so much, Mark. So at this time, we're going to conclude today's session. Um, again, please contact us with any additional questions or feedback. I've posted the details for Kevin, Ajahn, and Mark on your screen at this time. And then just uh, remember any of the questions that we did not get to address today. Uh, Ajahn and the team will get back with you. Thank you again for your time.